Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And we did have a week off, but we're returning, and Labor Cup 2021 is now in the books. We saw a dominant victory from Team Europe. We had a couple Canadians in action there. We have a few more competing this week. And also, Mike, uh, this week we're going to get to share your interview with a former top 25 young American star player, Amanda Anisimova. Yeah, we got a lot going on in our uh, welcome back to podcasting mm. episode after what feels like a lengthy break. It was only two weeks, but it felt like a little bit longer. And uh, yeah, I guess we could start with the Labor, Labor Cup and uh, what a colossal mismatch that proved to be. It must be kind of deflating to think that was with Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, and to think Djokovic also could have played for that team. And they yep. were all on the sidelines is kind of humbling and maybe a tad depressing even for team world. Yeah, I was, I was pretty surprised just in the sense that team world was also speaking with so much confidence going into this event. They say, you know, fourth time was the charm. They were so, so assured that they were going to be very, very competitive with team Europe. But then when you start kind of, matching up the rosters you realize it was probably always an uphill battle for team world and i i think the very first day kind of set the tone because they had early matches and you saw maybe opportunities where you felt like team world needs these ones and the first one on the board was actually casper root against riley opelka that was a great match but you think riley opelka he's playing so great on hard courts all summer we saw how well he did in toronto he has to beat casper root for world to kind of get things going rude wins that match and then felix ogl you see matteo berrettini played this phenomenal match that is actually the longest match in labor cup history goes into that 10 point tie break berrettini claws that one out it was kind of a flip of the coin and suddenly you know europe has Medvedev, Rublev, Zverev, all waiting in the wings. Tsitsipas, like all these star top 10 players, top five players waiting in the wings to go. And and at that point, it just felt impossible for Team World. And unfortunately, I uh, didn't see some singles wins from the Canadians, but I, I, I think it was just they were overmatched, to be honest. Yeah, and day one, I mean, the points on day one are, are lower than the, the subsequent they days. Are. So yep. you think, okay, we're in the hole here as Team World. Uh, and yet we've still got much more, you know, opportunities ahead of us. But you're right, that lineup of players that Team Europe was holding back for day two was just absolutely, um, you know, devastating to play against. And and this is where it did seem lopsided. When you compare the two teams, Team Europe had, you know, slam champions, slam finalists, Masters 1000 champions, some of the hottest players in men's tennis in 2021. And who did Team World have? I mean, not to knock our Canadian boys, but to me, they were the... The, the, the bright lights of, of Team World, uh, and they're just outside of the top 10, just knocking to get to that stage where Medvedev, Zverev, and Pass are. After that, you've got Apelka and Isner, and I mean, do we really need the two self-proclaimed serve bots? Do we need two players who are essentially bringing the same thing to the table? Uh, and then Nick Kyrgios, who doesn't even say he plans on playing tennis for that much longer. So when you put all that together, it, it really didn't seem like it was a, a fair matchup. But them's the rules. I mean, that's how it is if you're going Europe against the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, and even the second day, I I think some people thought, well, you know what, Nick Kyrgios, his his talent, his pedigree, what he can produce on a tennis court, maybe he'll give Tsitsipas a run for his money in that singles match. I mean, Kyrgios is ranked 95th right now. That that's I, I think he's a lot better than that. But he's he hasn't been playing. 
<laughs> like, how can we really expect him to go out there and beat Stefano Tsitsipas, a guy who was in the French Open finals this year and is the world number three? I mean, one of the best players in the world. So that was a complete mismatch. Credit to Diego Schwartzman on day one. He put up a heck of a fight and nearly beat Andre Rublev. But yeah, for me, the reason I thought day one was more important, even though points were more so on day two, was those were the singles matches where you really felt they have a chance. Felix right. could beat Berrettini. Opelka certainly could beat Rude. Schwartzman almost did it against Rublev. And then after that, I mean, again, yeah, John Isner against Sasha Zverev. He pushed that to a 10-point tiebreak. But still, Isner more so in the twilight of his career. I, I think Team World is going to have to look for stronger players to offer in the future installments of, uh, of the Labor Cup. I know we're only four years in here, um, but it is looking quite, quite one-sided. And then you even go down the list of some of these top 20 ranked players. Most of these guys are European. I'm looking, I'm seeing Hubert Hurkacz, Yannick Sinner, um, Pablo Carreño Busta here. These are all European players. So World uh, has a lot of work to do, I would say. Yeah, and it was really unfortunate the event ended the way it did with a, with a whimper, with just the one doubles match on the yep. Sunday. And I felt really bad for any tennis fans that uh, put their money down on Sunday tickets because you would imagine those would have to be the most expensive ones with the organizers hoping that it's going to come down to a photo finish, a really tense finish between both sides, you know, still in contention. And that wasn't the case. So I don't know. I would have been real miffed if I bought tickets to that one and ended no up kidding. with one doubles match. Uh, I was a little bit perplexed. I don't know how you feel about why coach John McEnroe didn't elect to put Felix and Dennis together in doubles. Um, they were both slated for doubles on Sunday, but with different partners from different countries who I don't think they had any prior experience with. So why wouldn't you opt for an all-Canadian team, given especially the history that Dennis and Felix have together? I mean, they haven't played doubles recently, but they do have a lot of background from their junior days and, and early pro days together. Why wouldn't you try and make that happen? Plus, it'd just be super exciting to see the two Canadian boys go at it and, and give it a go on the last day and try and get points on the board. Yeah, yeah, that was a bit surprising. Um, I, I don't know if the thought was Shapovalov and Isner actually did win a doubles match, and um, John Isner actually played unbelievably well in that doubles match. That was uh, the one point that Europe actually, that, pardon me, Team World actually earned in this Labor Cup matchup. It was 14 to 1. So maybe McEnroe's thought was Shapovalov worked well with a huge server in Isner. Maybe we can find that same dynamic with Opelka, uh, but wasn't meant to be. Um, I want to say that I, I thought Felix did have a great showing because it was such a high level matchup with Matteo Berrettini. And um, maybe that could be a rivalry for years to come. Super, super high level. Dennis, he was in incredibly tough, of course, against Daniil Medvedev, whose confidence must be sky high. He just won the U.S. Open and he was completely outclassed. And Medvedev, just the second set, I mean, a 6-4, kind of a tight first set. And Danil just completely took over from there. He was not missing a ball. And uh, Shapovalov looked like he was kind of out of answers. And I think to me that was sort of revealing that there's still that final step or stage in development that Dennis is going to have to achieve to really be able to compete with the guys inside, you know, the top eight, top five, and in this case, the number two in the world. Yeah. And this would be an event that would sort of hammer that home for him too, perhaps. I'm sure he doesn't appreciate getting beaten by the scoreline he took against Medvedev either. And that's going to motivate him to work harder and, and troubleshoot as well. Uh, a couple of questions I want to put towards you um, just mm -hmm. as we wrap on Labor Cup is, First of all, what do you think the prospects for this event are moving forward? We got a glimpse of what it looked like without Federer and Nadal 
And, um, you know, the scoreline to me didn't really indicate um, something that I would spend money to go see in the future if it maintains its current format. So, you know, is there perhaps an inclusion of uh, female tennis players, make it more like a Hopman Cup, which I think if we had some of the, the women from North America in there or the world, it might have brought things a little bit closer together. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I will say, at least for day one, I thought the tennis was fantastic. The level of tennis was fantastic. But you're right. This is in terms of an event and seeing something competitive between teams. This was not the case. So I, I don't need, know if it needs a rejigging. It was funny, actually. Someone shared um, a potential matchup of what we could see if we were watching um, Labor Cup female version. Maybe you would name that, I don't know, Navratilova Cup, but, uh, and the matchup would be fantastic. Someone shared this Team Europe, Sabalenka, Pliskova, Svitolina, Sviantek, Raducanu, Team World, Barty, Osaka, Jabur, Layla, Serena. And these are just examples. And I was thinking that's, that's, that's good. Eh? That's I was really thinking good. that sounds incredibly competitive. And that was still leaving out various names like uh, a Zachary or a Benchic or a Muguruza, Kvitova, all these players that could be subbed in on either side. So I, I wonder if they could find like a hybrid event where it counts for something. As you mentioned, Hotman Cup is a fun event and now it's gone. Uh, sad to say. But that was still an exhibition. Labor Cup is trying to be more than that. You know, these matches do count in terms of the ATP head-to-heads. So I don't know. I don't think they're going to undergo a rebranding. It was certainly successful. Did have sellout crowds in Boston. But I would be happy to see some type of change. I, I don't know. What, what's your idea? Well, first of all, don't get me started on the whole this counts in ATP head-to-head because <laughs> okay. how can you have a, an invite-only type of event and then make it count in... You know, there's no ranking points. There's no, um, pri- pri- I mean, there's no prize money officially in that right, sense, right. although big appearance fees, no doubt. But it just seems odd to me. I don't understand the rationale one bit why it would count in head-to-head. Um, and, and one other thing, if I can continue to rant a little bit, although I like the, you know, in principle, I like the idea of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly enjoyed it more in years when it was coming down to the wire on the Sunday. But one other thing I really wasn't cool with was uh, Alexander Zverev's inclusion. I think that was in poor taste. He didn't have to be there. It wasn't something based on rankings. And especially given just, you know, the allegations, the very credible allegations where some of the alleged abuse took place at the Labor Cup a a couple of years ago. I mean, that just sends such a terrible, terrible message. And uh, Mary Carrillo, uh, broadcaster Mary Carrillo, stepped away from the event when she saw that Zverev was being included. And... uh, you know, I would have walked away, too, if I had any affiliation with the event who who went on to block people on Twitter who were raising yeah. any sort of critique or, or opposition. And, and give me a break. What kind of, you know, amateur operation is this when you're doing stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't believe the behavior of the Twitter account kind of the early days leading up to the promotion. Um that you're promoting Alexander Zverev, which, okay, you're opting to do that. You're opting to kind of bring a polarizing player to this event, which as you said, he doesn't have to be there. So you're taking on the risk, bringing him there, but then to block and silence people who are just sharing the information that, that we are all privy to about allegations. I thought that was yes. in, in very, very poor taste. And um, I, I hope we, we get a different kind of taste next year um, because that, that was certainly a sour note of the event for sure. Um, and do we see Roger Federer back there next year? And, uh, well, and, and one question about Roger is, let, let's say he retires. Let's say he doesn't feel he can come back to a grueling ATP schedule. What if he chooses to play just in the Labor Cup? Because it is kind of his, his brainchild or he's involved in, 
in the planning of it and the uh, the inaugural event a few years ago. What if he plays it? Does that continue to count towards his ATP head to head, even if he were retired? <laughs> that's a uh, that's a good question. So here's a uh, Rogers two events for 2021. Is it uh, actually three? I'll give him three events: Halla, Wimbledon, Labor Cup. Um, the third one with no potential ATP rankings, but head to head involved. Yeah, it, it is a little strange in that sense. I don't know if the head to head feature was supposed to be even more of a motiva- motivating factor for players to really, really push hard and and. Yeah. Want Maybe the that's win. It. I and I will say the competitive spirit from both teams was very very high and it has been for every edition. So that I do like. But as it stands now, I mean, fourteen to one Europe. This was this was one sided, and uh, it's not like what was actually happening in golf uh, this very same weekend with Ryder Cup, where the United States reclaimed the Ryder Cup. I believe Europe had won the previous three editions, but we're seeing a lot of jostling back and forth in uh, that event. We'll continue just over to a small tournament quickly. I mentioned Hubert Hurkacz. He would be a good player for Team Europe, no doubt. And uh, he defeated Pablo Carreño Busta in straight sets to win the uh, ATP 250 in Met the Moselle Open. Um, is is Hercatch one of our more underrated players? Because you look at what he's done in 2021. Now, three titles. One of them is a Masters 1000 in Miami, uh, which is a phenomenal result. He beat Roger Federer and was in the Wimbledon semis. He's kind of having this sneaky great season. And I also remember him nearly beating Medvedev in Toronto. Yeah, if I was like doing some sort of fantasy tennis pool, he would be one of my sort of like sleeper picks that I would hope to sort of buy low on and hope that other people, um, you know, took a pass on him in the first few rounds because he's really proven that he belongs near the top of the men's game. And, and you and I saw him in, uh, in Toronto and, uh, he pushed Medvedev like nobody else en route to the Russians title there. So I'm expecting big things from her catch in, uh, in 2022. And, uh, yeah, he would be a great addition to the, the Labor Cup, too. But let's not give Team Europe any additional firepower there, okay? Yeah, yeah, they have uh, enough power on that side already. I will just say Vasher Pospisil did compete here as well. He got a win in the first round over uh, Gregoire Barrere of France before losing to Andy Murray in straight sets. Andy Murray had a great tournament in his own right. He did lose to her catch in straight sets, but I thought he kind of carried over the form that he had at the U.S. Open, which was battling Tsitsipas in a long five setter very tough draw and now he's slated to play san diego so he is getting like this continuation of tournaments and for me this is the best we've seen of him in a long time he wants to get that ranking back up he he wants to put himself in a position where he's going into tournaments and he's not having to play the cc passes early on in a grand slam uh so good for him for going out there and and doing it Uh, i owe him a bit of an apology from our u.s open preview episode because i thought he was going to get absolutely destroyed by CC Pass, um, just given you know prior form, the way he had been talking seemed like his confidence was kind of low, um, and so for him to go out and do that was just incredible. And losing to her catch seven six six three, no shame in that. Oddly enough, that's the same scoreline he fell to her catch uh, in Cincinnati. It was the exact identical score, tiebreak, and then six three. So uh, I would love to see Murray get back up to a spot where he could be seated at the Slams, top thirty two at the Slams give him a chance to get in there a little bit uh, more and, and, and not have to be playing these grueling five set matches so early on. Yeah, no kidding. Still a long way to go um, in the live rankings now, 109. So still a lot of stages, but uh, if he keeps playing consistently, he's been winning matches, which uh, moves us forward actually to a brand new tournament. It is in San Diego, the San Diego Open ATP 250. And 
Denis Shapovalov, Felix Ojeda-Yassim, making the trip over to California right after playing the Labor Cup in Boston. So they're eager to play more matches. And Shapovalov seeded third here. Felix is fourth. They both get first-round buys. And your top two seeds also coming over from the Labor Cup. Andre Rublev, your top seed. Kasper Ruud, the second seed. So... Some nice players. The reason this tournament exists, I was just reading up on it, is we had the Asian port, Asian swing portion of the schedule uh, for the better part essentially canceled. So that was all lost for this year. And the ATP was seeking out cities to host tournaments. They needed events, especially after the U.S. Open. That was kind of a block of the schedule that wasn't filled. So San Diego hosting a tournament, I think, is a very big deal. And it's actually a very big deal that Andy Murray is there. I know the tournament director was super psyched about that. So this is a quality field i would say for an atp 250 at least if, if i was at a stage where i was ready to travel internationally at this stage of the pandemic still ongoing san diego is absolutely a place that i would love to Definitely. go and check out not just the tennis but just a place i've never been to and would love to see so uh you know maybe 2022 i mean it's been to our benefit i guess this year that we've covered a bunch of tournaments virtually and Hopefully, once the pandemic's over, tournaments still allow media to continue to do that. And I, I say, why not? Because it mm-hmm. cuts down on costs from whoever you're reporting for. And it makes it easier if you've got responsibilities that are tying you to home, uh, as you and I do as well. Um, but that might be one of those tournaments where I say, you know what, yeah, I'll hop on a plane and go do that. Because it's like one of those cities on my uh, you know, USA bucket list I want to get to as well. Yeah, I wonder why. I wonder if that's why uh, Dennis and Felix were motivated to go. Uh, and Andy Murray against Kaney Shikori in the first round. That should be a fun one. They're bo- they both took wild cards to, to the events. So they both obviously are, are keen to play more tennis. Uh, we'll shift over to the women's side. You're listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. You can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. We're on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada. We're also up on YouTube, Matchpoint Canada as well. Lots of interviews there. Um, starting on the women's side, and this is really the biggest news for me of the weekend. Serena Williams, now 40 years of age. And just going over, I, I had to pinch myself reminding myself of some of the accolades because it, it feels like so much time has spanned since uh, some of these, like, unbelievable accomplishments i'm looking back she, she has four gold medals i was thinking like how many gold medals does she have one two and then oh my god she has four of them you forget about all the grand slam t- doubles titles her and venus being an absolute force together um and you know i i guess it raises the question now what is left for her to accomplish because personally for me i look at the accolades i remember the domination especially a stretch of essentially 15 years where she was without a doubt uh, the best women's player in the world. For me, she's already the GOAT. For me, that's already established. So I, I, I don't know if it's just that Margaret Court record that's motivating her, uh, how much time is left. I, what do you think? Well, that's it. I think that's the only one. What else could there be? Because she's done it all multiple, multiple times. Turning 40, though, I got to say, holy smokes, and I went through this myself not too long ago, (laughs) that's quite a milestone, and the body does not recover like it used to after that. I've had more things, you know, go wrong for me in the last year and a half than I had previously in my entire life, so I don't know what it is about the big 4-0. I remember asking Serena Williams how she felt about turning 30 uh, 10 years ago when she was at the Rogers Cup that that August, and she was kind of like deflecting, like, I don't know what you're talking about, like, that's that's not my age. I, uh, you must have facts <laughs> wrong or, or something along those lines. So I wonder yeah. how she feels about turning 40, but uh, look, we're coming up on five years since her last slam victory uh, at the Aussie open, which was from 2000 
17, and I couldn't believe it had been that long already. Uh, no slam finals since 2019. It's not getting any easier, and I'm not saying it can't be done. A good draw, she's got to be, you know, completely, completely healthy and ready to go. And I think at a hard court slam or Wimbledon, of course, she could still pull it together. But the women's tour has only gotten deeper and stronger over the past five years. It's not getting any easier for her. No, no, it's incredibly challenging. And um, kind of a setback in terms of another missed slam opportunity this year, because I, I thought Wimbledon would maybe be a chance for her course she gets the freak injury slipping on the grass like it felt like half the tour did on that day one uh at the Wimbledon championships and and that essentially took away her summer of tennis so we lost out on the U.S. Open historically one of her best events ever as well and somewhere she's played in a final in 2018 and 2019 so you're right for me there, there might only be really four more opportunities and if you're thinking realistically how many of those four opportunities could she conceivably pull off? I'm not sure she's ready to win another French Open, even though the last one was actually only six years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I don't know if this is feasible to do. I do know if there's one athlete I'm never betting against, it's Serena Williams. That's right. I mean, there's also a big difference, you know, six years since your last, if you're 30 or yes. six years, your last, if you're in your early 30s mm-hmm. at 40, that becomes quite a long six years. And I, I don't know if she goes another year where she's slamless. Um, I, I don't know. What's the point of, of continuing at this stage? Yeah. Um, you know, she's got a family, which she's very happy and involved with. Um, I, I don't know what the point would be unless it's just her own pure enjoyment, in which case, Hey, you know what, who am I or anyone else to judge? And if that's what you want to do, go for it. But uh, I think uh, really, like we said, the, the only thing that's left in terms of adding to her legacy is if she can, you know, overtake Margaret Court. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and look, um, who else in, in her family plays for the love and joy of the game? Venus Williams hasn't retired yet. 41 years old and still going. That must be for love and passion for the sport. So I, I don't sense that Serena carries that quite as much as Venus just because she doesn't play as much. She's been very selective, especially with tournaments the past few years, but uh, well, we'll see what's in store for 2022 either way. Uh, Some other news, at least from this week, uh, I think this one raised eyebrows, but when you looked a little deeper into it, it probably wasn't that big a deal that recent U S open champion Emirata Canu split with her coach, Andrew Richardson. I gather the partnership had not been actually something that had been going on for that long a time. So it's not like this is a coach that, Oh, he's worked and developed with Emma since she was 12 years old and took her to this stage and bye. See you later. I I don't think that was the scenario. I think it was just a, a few months kind of trial coaching thing and for Andrew Richardson probably something that's going to lead to a high profile coaching hire from another player but uh I sure hope so because (laughs) uh, you know my heart kind of broke for the guy you know you just had the the highlight of your life as a tennis coach you know absolutely and boy that didn't last long within weeks all of a sudden see you later now maybe it was a mutual thing maybe he also said you know I'm not prepared to travel the you know obviously Emma Raducanu is ready for full-time duty in 2022 on the tour travel the world and whatever i don't know all the the details but it just seemed like a very quick turnaround and uh yeah no doubt he's gonna uh profit off of that in in whatever way he sees fit whether it's locally in the uk or or maybe finding someone to to partner with and and help bring along like he did over the course of the last few months with with radican who had such a crazy incredible summer yeah well and it's interesting just to to bring up 
these life-changing experiences, I'm thinking for Emma Raducanu and of course for Leila Fernandez here, um, just what the whirlwind must be after making this U.S. Open final. You've seen the number of media obligations they've been doing, all these new sponsorships, partnerships, their lives have changed forever. Um, and, and that's going to obviously change how the rest of the tour approaches them. I, I think nothing's going to be the same since this U.S. Open finals run for Layla the title run for Emma Raducanu. And that's going to be the question for us sort of moving forward. How do they handle it? And I'll start with Layla Fernandez. And I, I do love the team that she's surrounded herself with. She's such a hard worker, so dedicated and focused. I don't want to say she's not interested in the limelight. I think maybe that's a silly thing to say, but I, she she strikes me as maybe a bit different than your average um, professional tennis player in, in that sense. She doesn't seem overly consumed by distractions in the outside world, uh, but she's going to have a target on her back, certainly uh, going forward. And maybe she won't feel it kind of the tail end of this season, which is almost wrapped up, but certainly in 2022, managing new expectations, new pressure uh, that she hasn't felt before. Yeah, and she's going to have a target on her back in more ways than one. Obviously, every player on tour is going to want to beat the recent U.S. Open finalist, especially mm-hmm. ones of her age where there's going to be a certain sense of, I don't know if jealousy is the right word or not, but sort of like, hey, if she did it, why couldn't I do it? Yeah. Um, but there's also going to be a target on her back in a positive way, I suppose, of, of, of sponsorship requests, of, of maybe coaches who want to help, uh, people who want to be seen with her. And I think... Uh, you know, that could be lucrative for her, but that could also be distracting for her. And as her father, Jorge, mentioned something along the lines of, uh, you know, fame is a traitor or something along those lines, I think he said, mm-hmm. during the U.S. Open. And, you know, you just hope that she's insulated enough to be protected from all that. I yeah. I did see on Instagram that she's partnered with some uh, NFT company, and I still don't fully understand what the heck that means. But, uh, y- you know, something new, something that people her age, I suppose, have more um, you know, in, in terms of knowledge of than, than I do, that's for sure. This is a uh, cryptocurrency stuff, non-fungible yeah. uh, token. Anyway, <laughs> don't even get me started. I barely <laughs> understand TikToks. Okay. But, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> but uh, those are the things she's going to have to be wary of. And, mm-hmm. you know, we did see in New York that she did enjoy the limelight in a way that I've never seen her enjoy it before. And she admitted to you and me, Ben, that uh, she was finding her voice and she was uh, able to open up. And, and I think that's great. Um, but you do certainly want to sort of balance things out because you don't want to lose your focus. That's what got you to that moment in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And I think that fear certainly exists on the WTA because we have seen those slam winners or maybe slam finalists that had their breakthrough moment and then they were cast aside. They weren't able to maintain that level. But we have a lot of examples of players who were able to maintain or take it even further. Um, and Emma Raducanu as well. We've seen so much press. I mean, she's Britain's star right now. So uh, her life has changed forever. Um, we do have a WTA 500 this week in Chicago. And Bianca Andrescu uh, will be playing for the first time since we saw her at the U.S. Open, which... I said I thought it was still a positive event when she made the round of 16, lost that tough three-setter to Maria Zachary. Um, So she'll be there. Rebecca Marino did lose in the final round of qualies to uh, Kristen Plipkins. Um, so she'll miss out on the draw. Bianca, I believe, gets a bye, and we'll see how things line up. Maybe Shelby Rogers in the second round, and she could face Annette Contivate, who just captured her biggest title of her career, she won Ostrava last week, and some of the names she took out here, Bedosa, Bencic, Kvitova, Sakari. So a player who's obviously in some fantastic form with a tournament like that. 
Well, she must be tired. So hopefully by the third round here, she's <laughs> ready to just uh, capitulate because it'd be nice to see Bianca have a good run and, and excited to see her back in action again. Uh, someone else who's back in action. I'm excited about this because I hadn't thought about her in quite some time is Kim Kleisters, mm. who's in the tournament and she's playing uh, against uh, Shea Su Wei in her first round and then potentially Ons Jabur. So uh, very interested to see what Kim still has in store for us. I guess the comeback is still on um hasn't gotten much traction i don't think she's played very many matches because I, I don't remember too many actually to be honest since she's been you know back quote unquote but yeah uh, great to see her name in there and one other player who's in there and uh, i almost forgot because there's so much to talk about in this episode but i did get the chance to speak with uh, young american talent amanda anisimova earlier this summer at the national bank open in montreal and we talked a little bit about what it was like to be playing in canada a potential Canadian-U.S. rivalry between her and Bianca Andrescu, and and what she thought she'd be doing at the age of forty is she just recently turned half that mark and and turned twenty years old. So uh, why don't we check out my chat with Amanda Nisimova from the uh, National Bank Open? Hi, Amanda. Mike McIntyre from Matchpoint Canada. Um, thanks for taking a couple of minutes to uh, speak with us today. Um, first and foremost, uh, welcome to Canada. It's your first time playing the event, I believe, but. Can't be your first time playing in our country. Am I right on that? Uh, I think I've only been here once before for the Coupe Blanc. So it's been a while, but I was really looking forward to coming back. Um, I love Canada. So I was really looking forward to visiting Montreal, but we're in a bubble. So I don't think I'll get to see it much, but I know it's have, beautiful. I have to save that for two years from now. And, and then you'll get to see Toronto next summer, I guess. And yeah. fingers crossed, hopefully by then the world's returned to normal, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, how are you feeling just in general coming into the tournament, both physically and I feel like it's just as important to ask about mentally these days, if you don't mind that as well. Yeah, I'm feeling good, both physically and mentally. Um, my body's been feeling good. I haven't had anything um, bothering me. So, yeah, I think San Jose could have gone better for me for sure. And we're trying to build off of that match. Um, so I'm really happy that I got three matches uh, here and I'm really looking forward to the next round hasn't been easy for you the last couple of years, um, injuries. There was COVID, of course, earlier this year, the pandemic to deal with. Um, how are you finding all those off-court challenges in terms of, you know, being at your sharpest when you step out on the court these days? Yeah, I think it's been a tough couple of years for everybody, but um, I'm really trying to get myself together and pull through in these matches because I've lost a lot of really close matches this year and it's been very upsetting. But um, I think I'm getting a lot closer to understanding why this is happening. And I'm seeing a lot of improvement in this tournament, just being focused every single point. And yeah, I've just been working on that. Now, you're not the only young player, of course, to be dealing with injuries and things like that. Just look at our own Bianca Andrescu. And since you're playing in Canada, I did want to ask you about that match you had against her earlier this year in Miami, I believe it was, which was quite the battle. You guys are roughly the same age, both really talented, have lots to look forward to in your careers. How do you feel your games matched up in that match? And do you look forward to creating some sort of Canadian-American rivalry uh, down the, the road with her? Uh, I love Bianca. She's a really nice girl. Um, and yeah, it's upsetting, of course, for both of us to be dealing with injuries like that. And I think she's an amazing player. She had that great year. So I really hope that she can stay injury-free and that she'll be feeling better for this year. But um, yeah, I think it was a great match that we had in Miami Open. The tennis was very high level and she did really well there. She got to the finals. So I'm really looking forward to having more matches with her. I think it was a really fun match. 
I should say friendly rivalry, by the way, just I should have said that <laughs> first and, and foremost to keep things pleasant between the two countries. And since yeah. you guys are so close, um, I know you haven't gotten to see much of Montreal, but how do you like being up here in Canada and with our countries so close in proximity? Any differences that stand out to you when you're up here that feels different than back home in the States? Yeah, I love it here. It honestly doesn't feel too different from home. I mean, everybody here is super nice and you guys speak English. So, of course, that <laughs> helps. But um, yeah, the environment has been great. I love the hotel and everyone's been treating me very kindly. So I've been really enjoying my time here. And you might pick up some French, too, in Montreal. You never know. Yes, <laughs> that I'm hoping will happen. I really want to try to learn a little bit of French. So hopefully. Next time I'll bring a question in French for you. I'll save you today though. Um, Roger Federer just turned 40. Serena Williams is also approaching that age and you've got a big birthday approaching at the end of the month as well, I believe, although only half of their milestone. How do you feel about turning the big 2-0? Actually, it was my dog's birthday too. She has the same birthday as Roger. <laughs> but um, yeah, I know it's my birthday this month. Uh... I don't know. I feel like I've grown a lot in the last couple of years and I've really had time to reflect on, you know, like the semifinal of French Open because back then I didn't really understand what was going on and how big of an achievement that was for me. And only now I'm starting to understand that and be more grateful for that because now I'm trying to produce the same results because I thought it would be easier for me back then. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I've grown a lot as a person since then. You got a long way to go to 40. You think there's any chance you're still playing at that stage like those two greats? That's honestly amazing by them, um, especially Serena to come back after a kid. I mean, it's very tough, but yes, if my body can handle it, then I will for sure try to do that. But yes, it's probably very difficult. Yeah. Well, all the best this week in Montreal. Enjoy yourself. And uh, we look forward to continued success down the road. Thank you. There you have it, your interview with uh, American Amanda Anisimova. And I just want to say, when you look at the rankings right now, it is, for me, not at all reflective of how good a player Anisimova is, who has been a career high of number 21 that currently sitting 82. I think that's out of character. And of course, um, she did have a stretch of time off. I know her father passed away. Um, So I think once she is back in the groove of things, particularly for 2022 playing regularly, she's going to very quickly, I think, get back inside that top 50 and build on that from there because she's such a young, impressive talent. And as you said, still 20 years old. Yeah, number 82 to me is far outside of her talent level. And, you know, the U.S. has nine women in the top 50 right now, 16 in the top 100. There's so much talent for the American uh, women. And, and I see her as a top 50 for sure. But as you mentioned, she's been through so much. And I mean, I didn't want to touch upon the passing of her father because mm-hmm. it's, it's been a while now and, and no need to bring that up. But she had to deal with that. She's had multiple injuries to deal with as well. She had COVID uh, earlier on in the pandemic too. So uh, I think it's just a matter of staying healthy and uh, getting in the time on the practice court, a few wins under your belt to raise your confidence. And as she mentioned to me, it wasn't as easy as she thought it was going to be after that semifinal run uh, at Roland Garros a couple of years ago. But the fact that she's just turning 20 and she's already accomplished all that, I think bodes pretty well for, for what you know the future holds for her.
Yeah, certainly. And I will say, actually, I, th- I thought her tournament in Montreal was really strong because uh, she had to win two matches in qualifying, which she did. And then she got two more wins, uh, Oshien Dodin in the round of 32 before losing to uh, Pliskova in straight sets, who, of course, made the final. So I-, I think her tennis is actually making a turn. Again, she played Pliskova at the U.S. Open. Almost forget about forgot about that thrilling match. That was 7-6 in the third, 9-7. So that tells me the level is certainly there when you're battling against a former world number one and someone who's been to slam finals um and she's um glad i i'm excited to see her play in chicago at the new chicago fall tennis classic she'll face uh victoria golovich first round um bianca fans will remember andrescu beating her in a long three-setter to start the u.s open so that will be an interesting match uh plenty to follow for this week and plenty for us to check in on as well we're glad uh, to be back it felt like a long hiatus which is funny because it only been two weeks it did but i gotta be honest i needed it because yeah. um you know we've had arguably and i don't mind sharing this with our listeners it's because of our listeners the most successful month that the podcast has ever had in august between yep. national bank open and covering that with our dailies um you know throughout that week and getting such high profile access to to some players that definitely drove the the numbers for us and then our credentials at the US Open too where we were able to continue and and follow Layla Annie's fantastic run to the finals so August was tops for us I think we both needed to uh, sort of recharge a little bit but uh, we're back for what this year you know still has to offer we've got some great interviews still in the bank that mm-hmm. we won't reveal right now but in the coming weeks and you know there's lots to look forward to between the Canadians still out there international stuff with Davis Cup, Billie Jean Cup, that's right. um, the, the Indian Wells tournament that's coming up and then tour finals as well. So, uh, you know, hang on, there's, there's lots to go. And, and Ben, hopefully next week, we've got some positive results from Chicago and San Diego for our Canadian crew as well. Yeah, I would love to see that. I'm, I'm happy that we have three Canadians in action. So please uh, follow along. We'll keep you updated on our socials as well. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We'll talk to you next time.